but we're in lesson 10 today. Now, this is a this is an important lesson. Now, remember, up until this point of what we've looked at so far, the Apostle Paul is trying to deal with them because they have allowed themselves to be influenced or, or convinced by these Judaizers, that, that these so-called Jewish Christians who believe that in order for you to have acceptance with God, you have to do certain things. And for them, it was the keeping of the Mosaic Law. It was that they had to be circumcised. They only could eat certain foods. They had to keep the new moons and the Sabbaths and the festivals and so forth. And so Paul's been trying to communicate to them through various means that that is wrong. And that perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, he paid it all. He did it all, not because of what we've done, but because of what he done. And our acceptance is because of Jesus, not because of us. So now he comes to this section of verses, which is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and he's going to make it a little bit more serious. And we really need to pay attention to this lesson today, because really in our circle of churches, the concept that Paul's going to share with you is foreign, because for us, we believe in eternal security, but that's not a blanket everybody's okay who's prayed a prayer thing. And Paul's, well, we'll let Paul just show you, and we'll discuss it as we go. Because there is a sense in which there is security, but there's no security in sin. There's no security in seeking after that which is wrong. And so what we're going to see here is, is he's going to share with us a principle, he's going to expand upon that principle, and uh, he's going to uh, make the application for us. So, Let's look, first of all, to verse 1. We're going to spend a couple of moments here in verse 1. Here's what he says. He's going to sum up his argument now, basically, on the first four chapters. He's coming to verse 1, and here's what he says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, I want you, because of everything I've shared, I want you to stand fast in your liberty. So that's really the point I want you to see here. Paul calls his readers to stand firm in the truth of, their, of our liberty. In the truth of our liberty. And let me just stop for a moment. Based upon what Paul has talked about so far, what's our liberty? First of all, what is liberty, anyhow? Freedom. What freedom is he talking about here? He's talking about our freedom in Christ, which is freedom from what? Bondage to what, though? The law. Bondage to any kind of ritual that says, this is what you need to do in order to be accepted with God. So, he's, he's calling them to stand firm in their liberty. He's wanting you to be grounded in the truth of the freedom you have in Jesus. So, here's what he's saying. The basis for our liberty is the fact that Christ has set us free. The basis for this fact is that Jesus is the one who set you free. Jesus is the one who did it all. Okay, and except for the folks in the Philippines who every Easter, and it's going to be happening soon, Good Friday's coming up here at the end of the month, and every, every time you notice every year they have it on the news, they go to the Philippines, and they show the people who are allowing themselves to be what? Crucified on a cross. In fact, some of those folks, some of those men who allow that do it every year. You know, except for that, none of us here 
are being crucified for your sins. Are we? Are, is that true? None of you are experiencing that kind of punishment and stuff for your sins. Now, you experience shame and guilt. I understand that. But the reality is, is you didn't pay the price for what you did. Who did? Jesus did. He's the one who set you free. So the basis for our liberty is the fact that Christ has set us free. Now, he comes then, and he's going to give us a warning. Paul warns his readers not to place themselves in the bondage of the law. Here, let me give you a story. I think this is a good illustration. One of the uh, biggest areas for prostitution in the world is Thailand. And there are some organizations as well as Christian ministries that are down there trying to rescue women out of the brothels. What ends up happening down there is this. They come from the country areas of Thailand, and they, their parents will sell them as a teenage girl to Bangkok or, or one of the major cities in Thailand and get money because they're, they're just poor farmers. They don't have anything, so they sell their daughters down there, and they end up in prostitution. Now, what these organizations do then is, is they come in and they rescue these girls. And sometimes, I think the article I read was a Time, was a, was a Time, you know, Time magazine reporter. He went into a brothel and he met a woman who had been there ever since she was a teenager and then she had a daughter and now her daughter was in prostitution. And what he did was, is he went and bought her from the brothel owner. And his whole purpose was he was doing a report on the nature of what's going on there in Thailand, of the brothels and so forth. So he bought her, he bought her freedom and her daughter's freedom. I think he paid $500 is what I read. Now here's the thing, the daughter is like, I'm out of here. Mom went and locked herself in the room. She didn't want to leave because that's all she's known. She didn't know what to do. And so here's the reporter the rest of the women in the brothel, and even the brothel owner outside of her door trying to plead with her to, you're free, leave. But she wouldn't, and finally they convinced her to do it. Why am I sharing that illustration? It's the same thing here. Your freedom has been bought by Jesus, but here's our natural tendency. We only default to what we know. And we will go back to what we know. And here's what we'll go back to. Bondage of ritual. What do you mean ritual? Well, I've already shared with you over the last few weeks that a lot of this bondage that we live in is because we think we're not doing enough to be accepted by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not at church enough. I'm not, I'm not giving enough. Or I'm not doing enough or I'm not praying enough, and, and that ends up being bondage. Does everybody understand you? And so here's what Paul's saying. He's giving a warning. He's saying, guys, you need to stand in your liberty, which Jesus gave you, and don't go putting yourself back in bondage. That's pretty good for all of us here, isn't it? Because it's real easy for us to slip, isn't it, and enter into a mindset that you've done wrong. So, for instance, let me, I'll give you an example. It's real, it's real easy for me today to fall into that mindset because we had a leak in the bathroom downstairs. So the water, of course, floods out. Guess where it goes? Into my office. Soaks the carpet. So I'm, I've got the shop back out, and I thought, okay, i got the dehumidifier. It's not drying out. 
Well, somebody here politely informed me there's a pad under it. And that pad becomes a what, guys? A sponge. It's never going to dry out. It eventually may, but it's going to leave something really nasty behind, which is what, guys? Mold. So what do I have to do now? I have to rip the carpet up, and then when they... I wasn't here when they put that carpet down. I know when we took out the other two offices that the pad was glued down. So now I've got to get down there and scrape the pad up and then allow it to dry out. And, and that's, oh, so I'm looking at it. I, I just thought, boy, I'm getting a grip on my week this week. I'm going to be able to get a lot of stuff done. No, I'm not. But here, here's you're saying, I could easily fall into the trap of, God, I didn't pray enough this week. God, I, I didn't do right. You see what I'm saying? You could fall into that trap of bondage of how you think. And, you know, so there, there is a reality there. So he's warning them, don't place yourself into that bondage. Now, here's what he's going to do. From verses 2 through 12, he's going to expand upon this principle. So let's look at verses 2 through 12. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised... Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to everyone who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you have become estranged from the law, you who attempt to be justified the law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Okay, so let's talk about it. He's getting pretty serious here now. Let's look at, uh, look at a couple things. First of all, his assertion. He's going to talk about his authority. Paul requires their attention because he speaks to them as an apostle. First thing he's going to tell them in verse 2 is, Guys, listen to me. It's me, Paul. You've got to pay attention. I'm an apostle. So he's, he's, he's sharing his authority there. He talks about the issue of circumcision. He raises the issue concerning the choice to be circumcised here in verse 2. I, indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you become circumcised. So he's going to talk about this whole issue. Guys, if you take this to the next step, if you go to the next step and become circumcised, I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. So he he's, he's raises the issue concerning the choice to be circumcised. Because here's the implication. If they fall into this trap of going to be circumcised, he says, there's some implications here, and here's what the implication is. Choosing to be circumcised would render the work of Christ useless. Now let me just stop for a moment. I'm not talking about circumcision in general, because today a lot of boys are circumcised, and there are reasons for it, and parents have their reasons for it, Okay. But what he's talking about here is circumcision for the purpose of keeping the law in order that you are accepted by God. And here's what he's saying. If you choose to do that, you are rendering 
what Jesus did is useless. Really of, of no no need for it. There's no need for Jesus to, to die on the cross then. Because do you understand, why did Jesus die on the cross? Could we gain our acceptance with God on our own? Could we gain forgiveness on our own? No. Jesus did it so that we could be accepted and be forgiven. So here's what he's saying. Listen to me. Here's what he's saying. If you do this, you're just making it, you're just saying that the cross was for no reason whatsoever. It was just useless. So here's what he's saying. He's wanting to point out to them that, guys, you really need to think about this because your actions actually show something else. So here's what he's going on now. He's going to give an explanation. First of all, he's going to talk about the whole issue of bondage. The one who chooses to be circumcised places himself in bondage. So if you're going to do this, you're going to, quote, keep the law by being circumcised. He says, here's what you're doing. By doing that, you're placing yourself in what? Bondage. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. Let's, let's make it relevant here because circumcision is not the issue with us. If you go to a church that stresses that in order for you to be acceptable to God, you have to dress a certain way, I'm going to be honest with you, you are placing yourself in what? Bondage. And you will be surprised. If you're thinking your whole acceptance with God is how you show up on Sunday. And you'll hear things like this. I've heard it. I've had, I've had deacons tell me this. Well, you wouldn't go before... This was in Canada. You wouldn't go before the queen dressed in jeans. Because, you know, in Canada, it's the queen of Canada. Elizabeth is the queen. And I'm thinking, no, I, I'd go in a suit to visit the queen. Or you would go in a suit to visit the president. Yeah, but we're not talking about the president. We're not talking about the queen. We're talking about God who does not look on the outward what? Appearance. He looks at what? The heart. And so the reality is, the reality, listen to me, the reality is when you do that, when you go and you adopt a mindset that I've got to do something in order to be accepted by God, you're placing yourself in bondage. And you probably know some folks right now who are in bondage. You know? You place yourself in bondage. Now here, here, here's what he's saying. He is placed into bondage to keep the whole law. When you choose to keep one aspect of the law in order for you to gain acceptance with God, here's what happens. Here's what Paul says. You now become responsible to keep the whole law. You realize that? When you choose to keep one aspect of the law in order to be accepted with God, you then have to choose. You, you don't have a choice in it. You now have to, in order to be accepted with God, keep the whole law. Does everybody understand? You're not responsible for it all. In fact, I, it's not possible for us to do it. You say, really? Yeah, I'll give you one example. In order for us to keep the whole law here, we're going to have to change the way we dress. What do you mean? You just talked about that dress is not the issue. I, I said dress is not the issue in how you dress. The issue in the Old Testament is what you dressed with. For instance, there is a law prohibiting the mixing of materials like wool and so forth. And a lot of us here are, 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 are wearing a mixture. You, you might be wearing one shirt that's 100% cotton, but I guarantee you you got polyester somewhere or rayon textiles. There's a mixture of textiles. So, 
you got to you got to be responsible. So, like for instance, I, you'll hear some Christians and they'll tell you, and it's out there that you should start eating the Old Testament way for health. Okay, fine, that's great. But then let's keep the rest of the law too. Let's keep the rest of the law. Now you can't keep the rest of the law. In fact, that's Peter's testimony. Peter in Acts says, "Why are we troubling them when we ourselves could not keep it? Nobody can keep it. So when you try to..." In fact, isn't that what Jesus says? When you fail in one area of the law, you fail what? The whole law. So let's go on now. Paul states that they will become separated from Christ. Look with me at verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Here's the point I want you to see. He's saying to the the readers there, the person who's in that congregation, he's writing to these Galatians, if you're trying to justify yourself before God by getting circumcised or keeping the new moons and the Sabbaths, and you're trying to justify yourself by what you eat, no more hot Italian sausages, you know, no pork, no, you know, none of that, no cheese on your burger, you know, none of that stuff. When you attempt to do that, Justify yourself. You're no longer justified by grace. You have fallen from grace. So let me just stop for a moment. Let's make it practical here. It's very easy in a church culture to enter into a mindset where you think you're okay with God because you do several things. Number one, you go to church. Number two, you give. Number three, you maybe have devotions. And you can enter into a mindset where because of those things, and it's a subtle mindset, and you've got to be careful where you feel you are justified before God because you're doing those things, or you serve, or you're here every time the door's open or not open, you're waiting outside to get in, and you think you're justified before God. Here's what he's saying. If you are looking to something other than Jesus Christ to justify you, you're not justified. You've fallen from grace. See, this is what I'm saying to you. The issue isn't a profession. You know, George Barna, the research group, you know, they poll Christians every year. And for the last 20 years, they come up with the same statistic. That of those who call themselves born-again Christians, more than half feel that it is something other than Jesus Christ that's going to get them to heaven. You think about that for a moment. That's more than half of people who come to churches. Of those who call themselves born-again believers, more than half think it's Jesus plus something else. Here's what the Apostle is saying. If you're looking to something else to justify you, and it doesn't even have to be those actions. It could be, well, I came from a Christian family. You know, it was my grandma's faith or whatever. That does not, that doesn't do anything for you. It's Jesus Christ alone. And if you look to something else, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. So, okay, let's, let's go on then. Here, here's the thing. This is true for those who attempt to be justified by keeping the law. You're falling from grace. And listen, it's, it, it, let me just stop. You can say, boy, you think you think they would get their act together and realize it's Jesus alone? It's subtle, guys. Because we live in a culture from when we were first able to walk. How many of you little, with your little ones remember how many times you told them no? No. Don't touch that. Don't do this. If you don't do that, Daddy will give you a treat. 
you know, or and and even still, wh- when do you get a bonus at work? When you're supposed to, you know, if you get one these days, you know, when you're when you're when production is up and you do well or whatever, you get. I mean, it's just a part of our culture. We reward those who what do good. All right, put in the hard work, you get you get a reward. Now, what happens is that's the human mentality. We bring that over into our relationship with God. And so we think that we are justified, listen to me, we think that we are justified by our actions. That God's going to accept us because we did good here. I had devotion. Now, here's the reverse of it. Because you can be defeated because you didn't think you did actions. Well, I didn't have my devotions this week, and so God must not love me. I didn't give. That's why I'm sitting on I-80. All those trucks with a flat tire. You know, and, and, and isn't that the mentality we enter into? In fact, when, and here, you want to know how you can find yourself, whether or not you're in that mentality? The next time something bad happens, watch how you respond. If your response is, God, what did I do? That tells you a lot right there. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your response to something bad is, what did I do, Lord, to deserve this? You are looking to God and trying to justify yourself before him by your what? Not, not by Jesus. It's Jesus alone. Okay, so here's the point. He states that, that in doing this, they have fallen from grace. In doing this, they have fallen from grace. Now, here's what Paul does. He goes on in verse 5. Look at verse 5. And he says this. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Look at verse 6 as well. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. All right, here's our true hope. Paul states that true believers eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. If you're truly saved, yeah, stuff happens. But you know that, what, I am waiting for when Jesus comes back and everything's going to be okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am waiting for when Jesus comes back and everything is going to be okay. You know, I heard an interesting, uh, I was listening to an interview this, this last week. I was listening to a pastoral interview where a guy is interviewing pastors, and he was interviewing a pastor from England. And this guy from England had a very good point that he was making, because he says he looks at all of the social stuff that the church is involved in, where it's trying to clean up society and, and trying to do this and all that. And I don't want to get into it, but he made a good point, and I want to make the good point to you. He says when he looks at the anger in the Christian community today in the West towards the culture, he says, it's very obvious that we have forgotten something. I thought, whoa, what have we forgotten? I'm listening to this. What have we forgotten, dude? And here's what he said. We've forgotten that heaven can't be here, that it is later. And when he looks at the anger of our frustration of what we're supposed to, you know, we're trying to make the culture this and all of that, and we're trying to, to moralize everything and whatever, we're trying to make a fallen world that's headed to hell become heaven. And you can't. And that's reality. See, our hope isn't here that everything's going to be okay in America now. Our hope is what? Later on, freedom. And freedom beyond what we can comprehend. Our hope is later, salvation. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more hard times. Because this life is going to be filled with what? 
toil and trouble, the scripture tells us. And we need to grasp that. And so he states that believers, so as a believer, I am eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. I am eagerly waiting, if he doesn't come back, to die and go to be with him, because I know that when that happens, there will be true peace. The battle will be over. We need a battle. I mean, think about it. Forget about what's going on outside the world for a moment. Think about the battle that's going on on the inside with you, between, like Paul describes in Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Isn't that a battle that goes on within us? That battle will be over. Wow. Isn't heaven going to be wonderful just for that? No more wrong thoughts. Isn't that wonderful? See, we've got to get our focus where it needs to be. So he's saying here, listen, he's saying, Paul states that true believers eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What's the hope? True salvation later on. Ultimate salvation. So here's what he's saying. The basis for this waiting is through the Spirit and faith. Now, the reason why we're able to wait is two things. Number one, the Spirit sustains us. That's what the Holy Spirit's role is. And number two, our faith in something better later on. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. You may want to write this one down. Tragedy and adversity will reveal where you're really at. Tragedy and adversity will reveal where you're really at. What do you mean by that, George? Well, here's the thing. It will either, you can write this one down, it will either draw you to God or draw you away from Him. It exposes where you're really at in your relationship with God. When something terrible happens or when you've got a problem... I mean, there's some things that we can handle. You, you understand what I mean by that? There's some problems we can handle. But every once in a while, something will come along and kick the legs right out from underneath you that you didn't expect. And how you respond to that situation will determine where you're at with God. Because in the midst of tragedy, it will either draw you to God or draw you away from Him. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because you might say, well, you mean I can't be angry? No, you can be drawn to God and be angry, but you express your anger to God and God helps you through it. Or you can be angry at God and not have anything to do with Him. And that really says where you're at. So, the basis for waiting is the Spirit. The Spirit sustains you, and it's faith. I'm trusting in something better later on. And that's reality. Okay, so here's the application. Let's look. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, verses 7 through 12. Look at what it says here. Paul's going, to, Paul's going to pose them a question. He says this, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I wish that those who troubled you would even cut themselves off. Okay, it's pretty harsh here. We'll go through it, try to make some sense of it for you. First thing I want you to see here is he's going to talk about the application. He's posing a question. Paul's saying this, he said, since they started off well, since they started off well, that is, since they started off just trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, since they started off well, who is hindering their spiritual growth? Who's laying this burden upon them? Well, here's the problem. When you're a young Christian, you enter into a mindset, listen to me, you enter into a mindset where now your acceptance with God is based completely upon whether or not you're doing those things. I didn't make it to church. I'm sick. 
I'll go. Contaminate everybody else. But I was there, Jesus. Isn't that true? You know? Or giving, serving. I mean, all of that. And, and here you, Okay, let's take the serving one. I hate what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for you, Jesus. Accept me. And, it, and, and you, you, don't ask, you don't say that, but that's the mentality that's behind it. You know what I'm saying? So you end up doing stuff you don't like doing. The point is, is here, he's saying you start off well, how did you guys end up getting off track? Who's hindering you? So here's what he's going to say. He's going to point out here the source of their deception. Paul states that this line of thinking is not from God. Here's the, here's the line of thinking. It's like, okay, you don't have to work for salvation, but you sure got to work like a dog to keep it. And, 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 and even though we believe in eternal security, we still gotta, you still got to work like a dog to keep it. In fact, here, here's what we do. Can I be honest with you? There is even a deadlier side to it. What do you mean a deadlier side to it? Have you noticed when people get saved, they don't change instantly? Have you noticed that, especially if they're, if they're, if they're into stuff where they've really been in bondage to, they come to church, they, they accept that free gift of grace, and I've seen this happen, and maybe they, they smoke or drink, maybe some other things, and so they come, they, they accept that free grace of Jesus. And they come to church, but then after a while they quit coming. And you go to them and they'll, they'll say, and then why'd you quit coming? Can't do it. Can't do what? Just can't do it. What are you talking about? Everybody expects me just to be able to give up all this stuff. I can't do it. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have habits that you've tried to give up? Can you just give them up like that? Can you? Boy, for some reason we've got this attitude in church that when somebody comes to Jesus, they're supposed to clean up immediately. Now, here's what I've noticed. I'll just make a side note here, if you don't mind. A lot of times the folks that really want them to clean up their act haven't cleaned up their own act. They may not be drinking or smoking, but maybe they got a lip problem. You know what I mean by that? Loose lips. Did you understand? And so they sit in judgment of others. We place a burden on, and let me explain something. That line of thinking that is putting that burden on people to assume that by their actions they're going to be accepted by God, Paul's saying, that's from God. That's not from him at all. So, here's what he says. Paul stresses that unchecked error will ultimately affect the body. Unchecked error will ultimately affect the whole body. In fact, this is, this is the verse where we hear a lot of people quote this verse. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And, and it's true, but it's not, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about it in terms of somebody who's really bad, and we've got to get rid of that really bad guy, because he's just going to affect us all. No, he isn't. The self-righteous people won't be affected by him. In fact, what he's talking about here is this, the leaven of the self-righteous. In fact, isn't it interesting that Paul would use this analogy because there was somebody else who talked about leaven, and that was Jesus, and he said to his disciples, Beware the leaven of who? The Pharisees. What was he talking about there? The self-righteous, I'm doing what i got to do to get your what? Approval, Jesus. Approval, God. It's that kind of thing that will affect the whole. Is where you start thinking that you've got to do a certain stuff to be accepted by God. And it's subtle. It's not subtle. I mean, I mean, leaven, does it, like, 
when, when you know we love making bread in our house, and I love making that pizza dough, and I and I put that in there, and I put that yeast in there, and that bread machine works it and stuff. I don't hear it going boom, bang, pow. You know, it, it's what is it doing? It's working itself through it silently. It permeates it, and I'm glad it does it silently. But I mean, it's not going boom. I'm ready. Put me in the oven. Here, here's what I want you to see. It's the same thing that's true. Stuff is subtle in church. It's subtle. It's called peer pressure. And you can mold it into a wrong line of thinking. And here's what he says. Unchecked error will ultimately affect the whole body. Unchecked error will ultimately affect the whole body. Now, here's the thing. Here's what his confidence is. Paul is confident that they will not be affected by this thinking. Look, if you understand the reason and the reality of salvation, you're not going to be affected by this thinking. He's confident that they're going to reject this because he, he knows that they know what the truth is. So he's confident that they're not going to be. Now, he goes one step further, and this is the point that you and I need to grasp. Paul stresses that the source of this deception will be judged. Whoever it is, he's making a clear point here. Look, at, look with me at verse 10. Here's what he says. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul doesn't even know who the guy is. But he's saying, whoever it is, it's going to face a judgment. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This is a serious verse. When you have people, and you and I have Christian friends who do this, maybe they go to a strict church, and they come to you and tell you that the Bible you're using is wrong, or the church you're going to is wrong because they use the wrong Bible, and because you don't dress up for Jesus, you're wrong, I'm going to be honest with you. They're going to face a judgment for that. They're going to answer for that. When you start stressing that something else is your acceptance with Jesus, you're going to answer for it. When you deceive people, you say, what are you talking about, George? You won't believe how many people I know that can tell you why the King James Bible is the only version for the English-speaking people, but then you ask them how many times you read it, they don't read it. But they can sure tell you why. You know, I don't really care why. Read it. And if you can't read it, get a version that you can read. Because that's where the power is. It's not in the position of standing there and saying, what's it? And look at how many people are being deceived by that. And they don't read it. They just know they that's it. So that's, they're going to be judged. Now here's the thing. It's a serious thing. This is you know we're not talking we're not talking something mamsy pamsy here. Are you for real, George? Yeah, this God takes it serious. When you start messing around with truth, when you start messing around even subtly with truth, that people could be deceived about their justification that it's something other than Jesus Christ. You better believe it. He takes it serious, and he will hold them accountable. You understand? They will be held accountable. Now, here's Paul's example. Paul states that if he preached this deception, why was he suffering persecution? I mean, this is a good point. Paul says, look, if this is, if this is reality, if this is reality, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep the law. If I'm going around preaching that, then why in the world are the Jews persecuting me? Why in the world am I suffering at the hands of these people if this is the true message then? Because it isn't the true message. It isn't. And here's what else he says. And here's what's here's funny. If the deception is true, then the cross is meaningless. If the deception is true, then the cross is meaningless. Then, we're going to wrap it up with this one. I mean, 
Scripture can be brutal. So what do you mean brutal? Well, look at verse 12. Here's Paul's writing. Here's what he says. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. What's he saying here? Paul states that those who stress circumcision should go further. What do you mean by that, George? He's really talking about that they should emasculate themselves. Instead of just cutting off a little bit of skin, just go ahead and cut all of it off is what he's saying. Why? Because this is wrong. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? He's pretty strong. So, okay, let's stop for a moment. What's, why, again? Okay, because we're talking about the heart of the gospel. What's the heart of the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for who? You! And is it because of what you did or didn't do? No! It's because of His love for you. He did it all, and you just need to accept it. You need to place your trust in it. You need to be committed to it. You need to have your faith in it. And that alone is what brings you salvation. It's not what you do or haven't done. So then don't enter into a mindset that you've got to keep it by doing all the right stuff. So here's what he's saying. When you enter into that mindset, you wipe out grace. So yeah, he's going to be upset. He's going to be completely upset. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Remember the... A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Remember what he said there? And I, the point I made to you is that unchecked error will what? Affect the whole body. You can look at history and see it. When you look at the history of the church, you can see exactly what he's saying. Because there are groups today that the issue isn't, it's believing in Jesus, yes, but you also have to do all these other things. You have to be baptized. You have to be this. You have to be that. And you have to do that. And if you're not this, you're not going to make it. You guys know what I'm talking about. Where did that come from? Unchecked error. And thinking that you've got to do something else for your salvation. And believe me, the folks who caused it to spread, they will be judged. Okay, next week, we're going to talk about the slavery of freedom. The what? The slavery of freedom. We're going to talk about the freedom we have in Jesus, but Paul now is going to talk about the limits we have in our freedom. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Okay, let's, um, let's close our time in prayer, and we'll get ready for the morning worship service. Let's pray.